And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and we've got a domestic soccer show for you today. There's a U.S. men's national team roster we have not yet broken down, MLS playoff games to discuss, and a championship game to preview. To help me do so, I'm joined by our MLS assist colleagues. Up first, a friend whose analysis is never blurry, unlike an ESPN broadcast camera. It's Jordan Angeli. Hi, Jordan. How you doing? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you did you think you were going crazy when you were watching that Philly New York City game? I was like, why does everybody have a halo around them? Is that their aura? What's happening? I can't tell, but um thank goodness they finally figured that out. And um I'm happy to be here and my vision is still pretty good, even though I do have to wear glasses. That makes me happy. That makes me happy. Yeah, yeah I stream I stream most things, uh, especially when it comes to games that we're going to be talking about. I'll stream them on, on the monitor, on the computer. And I definitely reset the router once, thinking like, oh, it must be our <laughs> internet. It's pretty choppy. It was not. It was ESPN. Hopefully, we don't have that uh, for the championship game. If we do, I'm sure we'll be discussing that. And if we do, Joe Lowry will probably be here to discuss it. Joe Lowry, uh, I think a man who was one positive COVID test away for the, for the Philadelphia Union from starting, or at least being <laughs> on the bench. Joe, did you get a call up? Were there any discussions? So from what I understand, they just needed that 12th player to go down and to be unavailable. And then I was next on the list. They dipped into the MLS reserve player pool first before they called me, which I was only slightly insulted by. But no, I, I think I was pretty close to being being in that group. Joe, would you just go by Joe on the back of your jersey? Or just Joe, Brazilian yeah. style. Yep, mm-hmm. just Joe. No last name. No, not even my full first name. Just Joe. <laughs> I, I think that's the way to go. I like that a lot. I look forward to discussing what you all would have on your jerseys, as well as the MLS uh, Cup Championship game. I would be the I would be the palest person to ever have just their last name on a jersey. I think that would be I'm just my first name. Excuse me, on a jersey. I'm, I'm pretty sure that would that would be the case. I don't know if Peter Crouch ever had Peter on the back, but if so, he might give you a run for your money. Uh, we're going to talk about MLS playoffs in a bit. MLS Championship game this weekend. But a USMNT roster dropped last week. We have not spent any time discussing it. So we're going to rectify that now. First, a little bit of background. Uh, it's the roster for the December friendly versus Bosnia. It's a non-FIFA window, so we're getting a lot of MLS players and one outlier. Joe, my question for you to start could be a slightly downer of a way to begin this, but I'm going to go with it anyway. How much can we take away from this camp? That is a thing I always struggle with from these types of camps with these types of opponents. For example, if Kellen Acosta gives a 10 out of 10 performance against Bosnia, does that change the way we see him? Or is it the best case that we're going to be thinking, like, okay, well, we'll see what happens in, a, in an actual meaningful game. Might we see some interesting faces that then factor into the camp down the road? Like, what are your sort of optimistic hopes for this group? I don't think anything we see from the more established guys on this roster, and we'll run through the roster in just a minute, but I don't think anything we see from Kellen Acosta as an example 
will really change, at least not in a positive way, will change how Greg Baralter looks at him or how we look at him. This camp is is really happening for two reasons. The first reason is to keep the MLS guys fit, right? To get Ricardo Pepe minutes, to get Jossi Zardes back into the fold, right? To get these more established MLS players minutes. And not all of those guys are here for a few different reasons, but to get those players involved and get their legs ready to go for the end of January, the beginning of February. The other reason, though, is to look at some less established players, some players that haven't either been involved in the past or have barely been involved in the past. It gives Baralther a chance to work with them in the camp leading up to that actual friendly on December 18th. And then it also gets a, a chance to see some actual minutes from those players too. So I don't think we should be going crazy with, with our evaluations of the more established guys, but we can certainly learn things about what Baralther thinks of some of the young players and we can get a little bit of data on how they look in, in the game. So on the fly, I'm going to ask you both to evaluate it like this. We have four position groups. We're going to go through them one by one. I will ask you, uh, where does that position group rank from one to four in terms of your enthusiasm? I've just come up with this right now. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Starting with goalkeepers, there are three of them. There's John uh, Poolskamp from Sporting KC, uh, Gabriel Slo- Slonina from the Chicago Fire, Matt Turner for the New England Revolution. We've talked plenty about Matt Turner, but Jordan, any thoughts on Poolscamp or Slonina, or where would you like to put this position group in your one out of four ranking? So I'm ranking them like the goalkeepers. If they're fourth, then the forwards could be first or something like exactly. that. Is that the rankings? Okay. Just wanted to make sure I knew what the one to four scale was. Um, <laughs> goalkeepers, I, Slonina is a young player and I got to see him play for the Chicago Fire playing against the crew this year or even scouting games and watching games, getting ready for crew games. And I like him. He's big. He's six four. He's 17 years old. He started the last 10 games for the Fire and um, we know that this season for the Chicago Fire didn't go uh, as they had hoped. And one of their their difficulties was defending as a unit. So this guy got a lot of opportunities to make big time saves. And that he did. I was impressed by him. 46 saves on the season. He is a good shot stopper. I feel like his leadership for being 17 years old is pretty good too. So you put him in this camp and I do think he can learn from Matt Turner. I do think it would be different if that would have been, you know, Zach Steffen alongside Matt Turner. Then you really allow this youngster to come in and grow under the tutelage of these two good goalkeepers. So um, I'm going to say if I'm ranking them, this is going to be number four for me. I had a feeling. Yeah. Joe, any disagreement? It's number three for me, which Ooh. says a little bit less about the goalkeeper oh. group, and I am excited about <laughs> Gagas Lanina, and, and a little bit more about another position group that we'll talk about later. I, I have a feeling I know who you're going to put in fourth. I don't think it will be our next one. We've got 11 defenders. Uh, George Bellow, Justin Shea, Jonathan Gomez, Kobe Henry, Henry Kessler, Brooks Lennon, Aaron Long, Kevin Paredes, Brian Reynolds, Austin Trusty, Walker Zimmerman. Uh, I spared everybody the the clubs in there. The two maybe standouts would be Jonathan Gomez of Louisville City, and then we've got Brian Reynolds of Roma in there. Joe, we've seen this in a few other January camps, admittedly, not December, but I think it still stands to reason. We've seen, I think, Julian Green a few years ago when he was with Bayern still not playing. He gets called into one of the camps, and I think last time around we had Ulianas not playing in Europe getting called in. Should we be concerned that we have Brian Reynolds involved in this camp? Yes, but no more concerned about that whole situation than we should have been before this roster was dropped because it was pretty clear that that was not the best place or it hasn't been the best place for Brian Reynolds under Jose Mourinho. 
I mean, he's he's gotten trashed by Jose in press conferences. He's not getting real minutes and real chances to prove himself in games. It's not a good situation, and this inclusion in the, in this roster is another sign of that. So that's that's the European angle. Not an ideal situation to see Brian Reynolds here. Another name you just mentioned, Taylor, and, and you mentioned him earlier when you read through the list, though, as well. Jonathan Gomez. I am very interested to see Jonathan Gomez and Kevin Paredes, two left backs here along with George Bello. I don't know if we'll see either one of them play in the game itself. I hope we do. I hope we see Paredes or I hope we see Jonathan Gomez. I'm not totally convinced by George Bello right now. And getting a look at Gomez, who's 18 and came through the FC Dallas Academy, moved to Louisville City in March 2020, getting ready to move off to Real Sociedad in La Liga. He'll, he'll be playing for their uh, their second team, at least initially. He's played for the U.S. and Mexico, both at youth level. Really good left foot, clever on the ball, showed some solid defensive awareness in the USL Championship with Louisville. I'm, I've got my eyes on him. And then Kevin Paredes, Jordan, you and I have both seen plenty of him for DC United. He's played as a 10 at the tip of a diamond. He's played higher on the left side. He's played deeper on that left side. Mostly played as a left wing back under Hernan Losada this year. I've been impressed by him and his skill set, versatile, clever, just a modern wing back. Jordan, I, I think we're both on the same page with Kevin Paredes in that he's a pretty strong, talented young player. In the whole group that we're going to go through and continue to go through, Kevin Paredes is my favorite inclusion in this roster because he is so swaggy. And that's something that I say often when we talk about him, Joe. He has a confidence about him that a young kid, um, you know, it's hard to have because you he kind of teeters on this cocky but too confident style. But he is confident with the ball at his feet. He has the ability to break players down on the dribble, but also combine in tight spaces, which you just mentioned when he shifts into the midfield. I kind of see him as, I know he's included in the defenders, but I don't see why he couldn't at some point, if he does get time in this game, why wouldn't they play him and start him as an outside back and then try to push him up and see if he can be an inclusion on that front line as one of the wingers. Just a thought that I had because he tends to play wing back for Hernan Losada. And so that includes him getting up and being creative in the attack. And I think that that's one inclusion that he could really help this team out and, and do it with confidence. There's nothing to lose for him right now. Uh, so those are a few of the exciting names. I should also shout out that Aaron Long is back in. Yep. We don't know if that yep. will be mm-hmm. meaningful minutes, just getting some runs, some reps, all that good stuff. And Kobe Henry, uh, who I want to mention because he is another non-MLS player who's included here, mostly because I want to be able to say Kobe Henry, the champion of the USL championship after Orange County were crowned champions of the championship. I feel like that is a <laughs> sentence that is slightly redundant, but also accurate, so I'm good with it. Uh, Jordan, where is this position group for you in terms of your enthusiasm? Oh, I'm, I'm torn between one and two because I feel like, yep. as Joe was saying, I, I want to see Jonathan Gomez. I want to see Kevin Paredes. I'm going to go one. I'm most excited about the defenders because right. I think there's some players that can come in and... um make a name for themselves and get themselves maybe weaseled into a larger group that's competing for being the players that are going to be going to the World Cup. Did you say weaseled in? Weaseled, yeah. I is love that. Weaseled. Do you like it? Weaseling their way in. I like it. <laughs> that is, that is, sorry, sorry to keep interrupting. That is just such a perfect way to describe what you would do if you had yeah. a successful December, January camp, <laughs> is you are sort of like, oh, sneaking in there. You're finding your yeah. way in maybe into another camp. So that's well done, Jordan. Feel Joe, should I go ahead and put them as number two? <laughs> 
I'm just imagining Indiana Jones barely sliding in under a door that's closing in, I don't know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like that. Uh, oh, boom, Taylor, a movie I've seen. Uh, suck on that. Oh, how do you like that? Uh, this is I mean, this is position group number one for me. A way to celebrate seeing a movie, but that's it's, fine. I just, I just, <laughs> listeners don't even know how much flack, I, I don't actually take that much flack for this, but I get, I get some heat from Ryan and Graham and Taylor about some of this stuff. But anyway, mm. setting that aside. This Defenders group is number one for me. For okay. every reason that Jordan just mentioned, there's talent here. There's interesting storylines with Brian Reynolds. Austin Trusty's a guy that I'm, I'm curious to see. He's played well for the Rapids this season under Robin Frazier. So just lots of names that I would be interested and excited to see if they played in this game. And I think it's valuable that these guys are in here for Peralta to take a look at him. Joe, with the midfield, we've got five names. Kellen Acosta, Cole Bassett, Johnny Cardoso, Christian Roldan, and Jackson Yule. I have them as your fourth most exciting group. Yes, correct. Yep. All right, mm-hmm. that's the midfield cool. group. Let's move. No, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a fine group of players. This is a, a an area where I don't quite understand some of the call-ups. Johnny Cardoso, not a player that impressed at all in Olympic qualifying, still a, a player I have questions about at the six. He doesn't have that mobility and he's not all that good on the ball. A lot of those things apply to Jackson Yule, too. We've seen him get minutes with the U.S. in the past. He was even an emergency call-up back in September, I believe, in World Cup qualifying. But... I guess it's good that Brother's giving some of these players chances to prove themselves again and again, and he's giving them more opportunities. But at the same time, I just don't know if I see it with some of those guys. I get that there's not a ton of options to call up here outside of a FIFA window. So I understand some of the logistical challenges, but I'm not all that into Cardoso or into Yule. Count Acosta, I see as more of a six, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him play as an eight in this game because there's just not a lot of other eights. You've got Cole Bassett, who I know Jordan's high on, a little bit higher on than I am, and Christian Roldan, who's played wide for the U.S. in the past. He hasn't played as an eight in... I don't know how long. So that leaves you with maybe Acosta at the six, maybe Cardoso or Ewell at the six, and then Bassett and, and Roldan or maybe one of the forwards dropping into that group to play as one of the eights. I don't I don't quite get how the roster is going to fit, but that stuff doesn't necessarily matter a ton for the game itself. I'm curious to see Cole Bassett. That's the one name in this group that I'm, I'm really thinking we could get some more data on, and I think Brother will be excited to get a chance to work with him. Yeah, there's 10 players in this roster that don't have a cap for the U.S. men's national team. And I think that's really interesting because, Joe, as you're talking through the midfielders, who who would you want to see in that midfield three starting? Because I think that there, there's also players in, in the defender's position and the forward's position who could kind of slot in as one of the eights, as you were just mentioning, who have the ability to cover ground, to connect lines, Um and that might fit a little bit better than some of those other players that you were mentioning. So if you're you're imagining that midfield, what do you think it looks like? If I'm trying to put out my best possible midfield, I'm probably putting Acosta at the six and Bassett and Roldan as the two eights. I don't know if that'll happen. Again, I don't know that we'll see Roldan centrally, so I wouldn't be mad. This would be my, my favorite iteration of the midfield. Acosta uh-huh. at the six, Bassett as one of the eights, and then Caden Clark, who we haven't gotten to yeah. yet, but he's in the forward group on the roster announcement. I'd love to see Caden Clark a little bit deeper. I I like his game a lot. I'm curious to see what happens with him in his future as he's getting ready to move to Leipzig. So that would be my preferred combo there, but who knows if we'll see it or not. And we did have that question from Matt Conroy. Do any of the young uh, young gun call-ups have a shot at the fourth or fifth number eight role? And why is the answer yes for Caden Clark? <laughs> uh, and I think Joe has answered it there. Joe, are you thinking that maybe Caden Clark has the best shot to kind of advance out of this group? I do think that. And if if we're looking at any other possible eights, it's got to be Cole Bassett, who has done good things for Colorado, but he's also just like the only other real logical option to impress that Brother hasn't seen a ton before. He could make a mark in this camp and go off from there. But I would expect if anyone's going to do it, and I don't think anyone will, it would be Caden Clark. 
I'm I'm curious to see Caden Clark if he does get an opportunity in there. We know what he can do offensively, and I think that him as an eight really makes a lot of sense with his, with his ability to uh, play in between the lines, connect the space for the midfield and the, the forward line, even getting beyond. He has the work rate. He has the engine playing in the Red Bull system that can fit into some of the demands that Burhalter asks out of those eights. But my question for him is just defensive responsibilities and he's, is his defensive um, wherewithal up to par with what it needs to be in playing, um, you know, not against in these games in the December camp, but in games where it's really meaningful and you're you're having to mark a, a player from Germany or from France or these the, these big teams in big countries. I, I don't know if Caden Clark has that defensive um, responsibility yet. What I do know is that Jordan has uh, the defenders as her most exciting position group, goalkeepers as least most exciting. Uh, would midfielders slot in at number three for you, Jordan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's what you yeah. say. So You sound so sad about it. I just – there's five midfielders too. It's kind of hard to yeah, that's fair. get that's excited. Fair. I mean if – I don't know who would be in there that would really like punch it up higher. But yeah, <laughs> it would be three. That's, that's probably fair. What yeah. about that forward group for me? It is – I think the most exciting, just because every single name has reason for enthusiasm or interest, we've got Taylor Booth from Bayern Munich 2, Caden Clark, the aforementioned, Cade Cowell, which won't confuse me at all, and I definitely won't use interchange them at any point, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Ricardo Pepe, and Giassi Zardes. Lots of exciting names in that group, Jordan. Which one or two do you think you will be paying most attention to? I just have to start off with Jordan Morris being yep. back in this group is from me, from my standpoint, after going through three ACLs to see someone on their second ACL come back within a year and not only help his club team again in the playoffs, but now to be back with the national team, that is a feat that um, honestly does not happen very often. And I don't think it should be a standard people should hold themselves to because Jordan Morris has proven that he can um, really recover from these in a superhuman way. So I just want to say credit to Jordan Morris for getting back in this roster. I'm definitely going to be watching him, but I'm going to be watching Cade Cowell. I think out of all these players, we've seen um, a lot of them. We already talked about Caden Clark, so I'm going to skip over him. But Cade Cowell has proven over the last couple of years in MLS that he can just be a little bit different. And he has confidence on the ball to take players on the strength that is needed to play at, I think, the highest level. But will his... Uh, ability as a a winger to allow play to develop and hold on to the ball and connect um, between that winger position and maybe a center forward or an attacking midfielder. Can he be that connection piece? I'm not sure, but Cade Cowell, if if he gets an opportunity, he's one of the players that I think will really latch onto it and make it difficult on the opposing defense. Uh, So I think that means that both of you are going to have them in your second position. Joe, any other names that you uh, want to mention uh, before we round out the roster chat? Quickly, just Pepe and Zardes. Uh This is an interesting chance for Peralta to get a look at both of those players. Jossie Zardes hasn't been involved with the national team in, in recent history because of an injury that he suffered with the Columbus crew. He's now back. And so Peralta getting a chance to look at Pepe and Zardes together in the same camp will be fascinating to me. What does he see? How do they match up against each other? What can Pepe learn from Zardes? And could this potentially have an impact on who gets minutes 
going forward towards the end of January and February and March in World Cup qualifying. Those are those are storylines here because neither one of those guys are playing. Their seasons are over. They have no more competitive games until World Cup qualifying starts up again in the new year. So how do those players look? How do they what are they learning? How are they working together? How are they competing? Those are things I'm going to be curious to learn more about as this camp progresses. I lied. I have two more questions about this roster. One of them is about Jordan Morris. We had a lot of questions, or at least a few questions, about could we see him as a number nine? Should we see him as a number nine? Will Greg Berhalter give him a chance at, at that number nine spot? And I think if we're being honest, if we were answering that truthfully, it would be like, don't know. We'll have to wait and see because none of us are Greg Berhalter. None of us have really seen how he wants to utilize Morris in training. What I will ask you both is if you are sort of describing – Jordan Morris's ideal position, the place where you think he looks the best, where he is allowed to do the most. What is that role? What is that spot on the pitch for you, Jordan? Oh, you're coming to me first. I'll go to Joe first if you prefer. Okay. Joe. Yeah, go to Joe, Joe. first. I said you first. Yeah. For Jordan Morris, I, I really like him in a spot where he's just off the nine or, or he can start wide and, and make those runs inside. For me, it's it, honestly, though, it's less about positioning and more about what he's enabled to do, like what his responsibilities are. And he can accomplish these things from a lot of different spaces. With Seattle, we tend to see him a little bit wider and he can start a little wider and then drive inside or, or break in behind the back line. And that's where Brother has preferred to use him with the national team before. I like him in that spot. I like him a little wider than the nine. I like him having the freedom to, to drop occasionally, but really to keep the opposing back line honest. And with how Brother wants his wingers to operate, it just makes sense from my perspective for Jordan Morris to be one of those wingers. He thrives on verticality. He likes to be direct. He can press a little bit defensively. So that's my preferred spot for him. But again, it's more about, okay, what Jordan Morris are you bringing to this game? How many runs can you get us in behind the back line? How much energy can you provide? And really, you can do that from a few different spots. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Joe. And I think that for me, I think a couple of years ago, we wouldn't say Jordan Morris on the left side because he's not able to get to the end line and use his left foot. But his ability over the last few years to really increase his, uh, he can use both feet, right? So he's a little ambidextri- ambidextrous. Is that what it's called when it's your feet? Foot pedextrous. Foot pedestrious. <laughs> That's the term. Um, I think we're, we're going to go with that. Uh, I feel like he has really upped that level. So now when he's playing in a wider position, he's not just cutting in and getting the ball on his right foot. He is able to do that and combine and be dangerous in those spots. But he can also get to the end line and provide quality crosses for his teammates. So I think that playing him as a left winger not only gives him the ability to do both of those things, but then he can sneak inside and almost play as a, a dual nine at times and play off the front runner. And with what we've seen of Verhalter and the use of the outside backs in his system, that that shouldn't be a problem because there will be somebody in the channel pushing the back line, trying to um, get in behind whether it is that winger or the outside back. So I think that using him in that left outside winger role could really be beneficial. And you know his work rate is always going to be top-notch defensively and attacking. So we have an idea of where we would like to see Jordan Morris. I will say that I respect Joe's vocabulary and ability to speak clearly such that if – Joe, if you had said – like footpedextrous or whatever you said in a just sort of matter of fact way, I would have been like, oh, well, that's what it's called now. And I would have written that down and on we would have gone. Oh, so my I appreciate gosh. you making clear oh, that's so that, great. that was maybe not real. I'm not even sure still. <laughs> Final question on the roster from Owen Davis. Uh, Jordan, which player that is not in the group, quote unquote, has a chance to break into the squad? Uh, Owen says his bet is Jonathan Gomez, but maybe there is someone else that he's not familiar with. And for people who aren't familiar, the group would be that sort of 
core group of players that Burhalter tends to call in, tends to rely upon, some more acceptable to the masses to the other, because you have Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, but then there's also Christian Roldan, Sebastian Legette, names along those lines that tend to be included. So to Owen's question, who from outside that group might have a chance to make it into the squad more regularly? I'm going to just go on a whim here. And you already heard me talk about him. I love Paredes. And I think that he is young and has the ability to, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to make the final roster, but I think he can go in there and compete and add, uh, just a little bit of flair to like almost what we see with Dest on the other side. When you think about those two playing at the same time, it maybe makes you a little nervous about what the back line looks like. So I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen, but I think he gives you that same unpredictability that Dest gives you. Um, not at the, the level that Dest has, but I'm going to say Predes just because mm-hmm. I just like the kid and I want him to continue to ride that wave of confidence. That's a stretch, I know, but it's a game and I can nope. do whatever I want. But I think it's a smart <laughs> shout because it is. I like that <laughs> rational as well, but it's also because to me, we have Anthony Robinson there as that. Like starting left back, we would assume Dest can play left back, can play right back, but there hasn't been a ton of depth behind that. We've seen right. uh, George Bello, we've seen Sam Vines get get opportunities there, other players as well. So I think if somebody can sort of separate themselves from that pack or prove that they belong, especially as a left back, there probably is an opportunity for them to be called in, maybe as a a deputy or a third choice option if that's required. And then yeah, maybe or just they give them that experience. To, yeah. To- play and train leading up to a world cup so then when the next you know when the next world cup comes along wow you already have what it's like to get all the way up into that point you have a little bit of a disappointment of potentially not making the roster i don't know i just think it i just like the kid too if you've watched him play for dc united you understand why he is he's fun to watch i like it uh joe what about for you Paredes is one for me. Jonathan Gomez is number two. Caden Clark's probably number three, but maybe the right answer to this one is Aaron Long. It's kind mm-hmm. of cheating, mm-hmm. breaking back into the group because he's been a, a big part of the national team in the past. I don't know if he can do enough to get involved again in World Cup qualifying this cycle, but I certainly wouldn't be bold enough to rule that out. That is a that is a solid answer. Solid answers all around. I feel like we have discussed the U.S. men's national team roster at length. We're going to take a break. We're going to get to MLS playoffs up next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light as air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Well, I will admit, we have just had a knowledge bomb. Maybe just like a surprise knowledge bomb dropped off air. Joe Lowry, what is your favorite candy bar? Uh, State it and then defend it. A 100 grand bar? My defense is simple. It is delicious. The end. I don't what even know what's in, in that. Grand. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, okay. let me educate you all. I, I'm <laughs> not going to lie. I don't really know what's in it, but it's chocolate <laughs> on the outside. It's caramel on the inside, and then there's this sort of crunch layer to it. It's got texture. I don't know. It's not a nut. It's not like a ground-up nut or anything like that, but it's it's got a little bit of, of texture and crunch to it, and it's it's so good. People on Twitter, am I am I whack for this opinion, or is it is it good? Let me know if you like. Actually, don't tell me if you don't like them. I don't want to hear that. But just people that also like 100 grand bars, 100 grand bar truthers out there, Please message me so that I know I'm not totally alone. Taylor, I think you need to clip that part out where Joe just says, am I whack? And just use that and insert it in the podcast sometimes because that was amazing. Uh, producer Joe, I'm going to need you to get on that yep. one if you would. Joe, here's my candy bar sort of like barometer. Where where are you on Butterfingers? Uh, good. I would no, say... See, now we got problems. Now they're, we got not problems. The, they're not the best. You already should have known that. So if you're hoping I was going to say that, that's... I mean, Taylor, I don't know what to tell you there. But they're they're like top five, probably. Yeah. All right. I've also learned today that Joe says caramel instead of caramel. So we, we're learning all si- types of things. Yeah, I say caramel, too. Mr. Joe Lowry. You say Taylor, caramel as well. But you're from the East Coast. You say caramel, huh, Taylor? I guess I do. Yeah, caramel. Yeah, yeah I do. I feel like Milky it's an East caramel. Coast yeah. thing. I, yeah, I, maybe I think I'm, so, too. Because I say yeah, caramel. East Coast, best coast, as we all say. Uh, no one says Some that. Uh, everyone's that. Taylor. It's actually West Coast, Best Coast. That's just a little slip of the tongue. Mm, not sure that's true. East Coast rhymes better. We all know that. Uh, what do you all call the the like waxy uh, colored like coloring things that children play with? Crayons. Crayons. Oh. All right, we're going to need a break while I reel from both of these revelations. It's got to be a geographical thing. My wife thing. agrees with you. I don't know how I feel about this. Our daughter's being raised on crayons. That's what oh, I have boy. to say. Oh, boy. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see what raised. Margaret has to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> she will not be raised as an NYCFC or a Philadelphia Union fan. We're a D.C. United household. But we are going to talk <laughs> about those two teams because we had our Eastern Conference final. NYCFC gets the win on the road. Joe, we had concerns about how New York would handle the suspension of Castellanos. They're sort of talismanic striker when your opponent suddenly has 11 players out maybe that concern diminishes a little bit 
A, a little bit, yeah. yeah. And it would be insane to say that the the COVID outbreak that the union had to deal with that had them ending ending up without five or six starters for this game. It would be insane to say that that didn't work in NYCFC's favor. The interesting thing, though, guys, is I thought the union responded really, really well to that. You could see how ingrained Jim Curtin's style is in that group. The gap between the starting players and the players who came into this game because they had to start was way smaller, way smaller than I expected it to be. And I kind of talked about this yesterday on Weekend Review. I said, I think the union executed their game plan in this Eastern Conference final better than NYCFC executed their game plan. Certainly in the first 45, 55, 60 minutes. After that, the tide started to turn. NYCFC really used their depth to their advantage and, and, and put the game away. But man, I have nothing but good things to say about the union and how they approached that game stylistically, tactically, and how the players stepped up. And it's it's a bit of a shame that we're not going to see them in MLS Cup on Saturday. I noted in the pregame, uh, Jim Curtin was saying, I have a plan for each 15 minutes. Um, and I was really intrigued by that. And the other thing that he said that I thought was really a testament to what we saw from the union was he said, we're a really fit team. And I think that fitness aspect and their ability to use the fitness aspect really shocked New York City. I think City didn't think that this was going to be a fit enough team who could come in high press and try to win the ball back high and put City under pressure. And that's what the union did. And I thought for the majority of the game, it was New York City who was not into it. They were not um, sharp and they were a little bit caught off guard by what the union were doing. And it wasn't until they got scored on that they finally woke up and started playing the crisp soccer that we've seen City play time and time again this year. Jordan, I- I'm assuming you've you've played in those types of games where maybe your opponent is down a few players or they're like their two or three best players aren't going to be available. And 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 I think for me sometimes that led to a just like, ah, it's going to be easier than expected. Yeah. And there is a sort of like a lightness to the way you're approaching that game. Did you see any of that or was it more about Philly just sort of raising their game in that moment and being able to kind of execute the way they needed to? Uh, no, I think Philly gets credit for sure. But I don't think New York City came out with the intensity that they needed to, knowing that Philly was down all these players, especially when you look at some of the players, like leader players. Like when you're without Alejandro Bedoya, yeah, maybe he's not the best player on the field every single game, but the fight and the leadership that he provides for this union team, I think without that, you, this should have been a city team say, saying like, we're going we're, you know, who cares what their situation is? We got to go and win this. And it didn't really feel like that from me. It, it lacked a little bit of intensity. And I think that when you're looking at the city squad, like who, who led the team in that, um, that piece, the, the ability. And there was a lot of times where they showed Morales, Maxi Morales, like clapping his hands, trying to like gesturing his arms, trying to get his team up for it. And it really wasn't after till they got scored on Joe that I felt like they, okay, snapped into it and they started to play. And the biggest thing for me is you understand, and I, I tweeted this out, you understand why Tati Castellanos is the best number nine in the game in MLS. Yeah. He makes this team so different. He connects the lines. He pulls the defense apart. He pops up and not only in between the midfield and the defense line, he goes wide, he goes in behind. He does so much defensively attacking wise for this team that without him, they really lack that continuity and that fluidity going forward. I've got a little stat there, Jordan, and I don't know if this mm-hmm. is actually going to be out or not, but I, I wrote a piece for MLSoccer.com that's going out the day we're recording on Tuesday. And I found this stat yesterday without Valentin Castellanos on Sunday, 
New York City played fewer passes into the box in Zone 14 than they had in either of their other playoff games so far. So, I mean, there's other factors there, and the Union's defensive style and approach factors in there for sure, because they like to stack numbers centrally. But I, I think it's very clear to see, and your tweet mm-hmm. was right on about that, and, and everything you just said was right on about that, and the stats line up with it too. It's clear to see how much NYCFC missed Castellanos, and, and for up, this upcoming Saturday, having him back is going to be massive for them. Mm-hmm. Joe, so we can all agree that Castellanos is going to make them a better team and be very important in that final. Are there any of the things you think NYCFC learned from this game? Do you think that they can take away that they did find a way to kind of fight back in and get the result late on, that they trusted the patience to get to find a way back into it? Like, are, are there formation things, tactics things that you saw from this one, or is it mostly they got past an experimental Philadelphia Union side with and NYCFC without their best goal scorer? That's a positive enough, and then we'll see what comes next. That's certainly part of it. The other thing that I think NYCFC learned about themselves is that if they want to lift MLS Cup, I don't think they can afford, and I'm sure they agree with this, they can afford to start as slow as they did in this in this conference final. If they want to actually go out there and play through Portland and get an early lead or get a lead at some point and really take the game, they're going to need to be more aggressive and more a, a little crisper with the ball and moving it forward in a more decisive way because that was really lacking in the first half. And Ronnie Dyla essentially said as much and talked about some of his positioning, the positioning of his players as that second half was going to get underway. So I think everyone saw that. Everyone's on board with that now for Saturday. It's just a matter of whether or not they, they improve on that. I have a little bit of sympath- sympathy for NYCFC because there's the the broadcast issue, then there's uh, Philly with the, the COVID issue, and it seems like NYCFC have become almost the villains as a result, and I don't think that's <laughs> entirely fair, certainly right. to at least some of their supporters who deserve to enjoy this season. Jordan, what do you think NYCFC fans should be feeling confident about as we head into the final? And then maybe Joe, uh, what should they not be feeling confident about? I'll, I'll put you on opposite sides for this one. They should feel confident about who this team is in attack. Man, this this city team, I, I would say, is up there in top three. And I I would put Portland as the other one of the top two attacking teams in MLS this year. And the way that they go forward with numbers and um, with pace is really fun. So I think when you're looking at Rodriguez, Morales, Tati Castellanos, um, and even the work of... Gray on the right side and what he's done over the playoffs, having to step in um, after the Tinner home injury earlier in the season. I feel like going forward, this is a team that can get at opponents and they're going to go in feeling confident that they have those connections, that they can come in and utilize their bench as well to come in if need be and bring something different than what they start with. And I think that's a, an addition that you can't um, rule out that when you're looking at MLS Cup, it's not just the players, the first 11 that start. It's how good is this team through 15, 16 players? And I think New York City, when it comes to attack, this is a solid team who can get at you in a variety of different ways. So you should feel confident about that. And Mr. Lowry, what we, we could we could keep it positive for a moment. What else could they be confident about? Or would you like to take us straight to where are the concerns for NYCFC? I'll do both. I'll hit on, on each quickly. I think for NYCFC, and Jordan mentioned this, but really the biggest strength that I think this group has under Ronnie Dyla is the depth. It's the roster. I mean, NYCFC are playing. We talk about that Philly game and how many players Philly were missing, and that's it obviously dwarfs who NYCFC are missing in terms of numbers. But NYCFC have been without Keaton Parks, Anton, Anton Tinnerholm, and Kacha Acevedo for the entire playoff run now, and even a little bit towards the in, in the regular season as well. Those are 
big losses, right? I mean, it forced James Sands to play right back for a while, and then Keaton, Park goes to, Keaton Parks goes down, and he has to move into central midfield, and Tavon Gray has to come in, step up at, at right back. So they've been dealing with some of this stuff, too, and yet, game after game, we see them either impress in open play, and they, they looked good in open play and in, in regulation against the New England Revolution, the conference semifinals, or we see the subs come in and have an impact, which they did in that game, and they certainly did against Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, I mean, you think about without Tati Castellanos in that final, they still started Eber, who was a phenomenal number nine, granted, coming off of an injury. They started Eber, and then the game-winning goal came from Talas Magno coming off the bench, who is a multi-million dollar Brazilian player that a lot of folks are excited about, myself included. So there's so much talent and depth here. That's one thing that I think NYCFC fans should be feeling really good about. Even if they don't start well, and I, I for, for their sake, I hope they do, but even if they don't, there's talent to come in and change the game. Something that I think fans should be concerned about and something that I'm guessing Ronnie Dyla is concerned about is, okay, you're missing Keaton Parks and you're missing Acevedo in midfield. Can James Sands and Alfredo Morales progress the ball? I don't think they did a very good job of that against Philadelphia, and that was a big part of why NYCFC looked a bit stagnant and looked borderline incapable of creating chances for the first 50 minutes of that game. And and can they step up a little bit more in the final? Can they progress the ball through Portland's block? Can they play through a little bit of pressure? Can they break lines? I don't know if they're going to be able to. For me, that's the weakest part of this team in terms of their possession setup, which is a big part of what Ronnie Dyla wants them to be doing. So how how well will James Sands and Morales play? How will they perform against Portland's 4-4-2 block? That's a question I have, and I'm guessing it's a question that's that's there internally at NYCFC as well. Just to add on to that too, Joe, is you mentioned those two holding midfield players, but I, I felt like in this last game against Philadelphia, that was maybe the worst game we saw from Edmondson and Gray as outside yeah, backs. Yeah, agreed. They were not not very good in keeping the ball going forward for um, this city team. And they're very crucial in the way that they play. And if you think about um, who they're going to play in this Portland team and think about the the ways that teams are successful, it's quick switches and it's getting after the channels of Portland where they, they say they Portland brings all the players to defend their left side. If you can switch it quick and get your outside back and if that service from the outside back isn't quality, it's a quick counterattack the other way for Portland. So can the service and the contribution from Admonson and Gray be quality. It doesn't have to be quantity, I don't think, um, when going forward for New York City, but when they get there, it has to be of quality. And and for Jordan, I love that point. And for for uh for Portland on Saturday, you have to make Portland stretch themselves, right? You have to provide mm-hmm. some sort of threat out wide. And, and Tavon Gray's impressed me, right? I, I think I've, I've criticized him a little bit and questioned NYCFC's right side throughout the playoffs, but he has impressed me. And, and his job is not an easy one. And, and the role he's being asked to play is not easy given his lack of experience. But these players have done the job at times, but I do have questions about their ability in those spaces. Because if you don't, if you don't force Portland to to defend you honestly in the wing areas, then they can just camp and really congest space against Maxi Morales and against Santiago Rodriguez and Jesus Medina and Tati Castellanos. And you don't want that. You don't want to make it harder for those players to operate. And you don't want to make it harder for Sands and Alfredo Morales to break lines and find those really sharp attacking players in good spots. So if the fullbacks aren't on, that that has a bit of a domino effect for the rest of NYCFC's attack. So Jordan, yeah, that's a really good point. Sorry, I'm just taking down uh, furious notes here about what to expect from this game. I'm going to ask you that question later on. I'm going to ask you more questions later on. But first, we're going to take one more break, uh, and then we will be back to talk Portland and the game itself. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. Let's get to Portland to RSL nil. We're going to look at Portland as a whole because here is my question for both of you. Um, I'm going to speak for myself and say, number one, I have not watched probably as much MLS throughout the year as I as I normally have. And I think to some extent, I've tried to not just watch like Portland versus Seattle in those games. And I think that's a thing that we sometimes do on the Total Soccer Show. We focus on the big rivalries. But as a result, I feel slightly less familiar with Portland than I think I normally would be. And I think with that in mind, there's a willingness on my part to characterize them as like the, the old guard timbers when you've got 35-year-old Diego Valeri, 35-year-old <laughs> Diego Chara, 33-year-old Sebastian Blanco, 34-year-old Laris Mabiala. But then I realized that like Valeri isn't playing. Chara plays like he's 25, so I'm not sure he counts. Blanco yeah. wasn't involved for much of the season, and I'm realizing I probably have a misguided understanding of this Timbers team. So, Joe, I turned it to you to ask, how would you characterize this Timbers team overall? I think this is partially a new look Timbers team. And, and there are some of those old guard guys still around, but that's not a bad thing. It's, it's a nice combination of experience and more youthful presences in this group. You think about a guy like Eric Williamson, who was a starter in this team and then had a knee injury and has been out for the rest of the year and, and will be out, I think, for a little while still. He was a big part next to Diego Chara, and that combination for me really embodied this team. There's new presences at, at fullback, right, le- right back and left back with Claudio Bravo and uh, Van Rankin on the other side. Then you've got Steve Clark in goal, experience certainly in the middle of the back line, but then a, a mixture in midfield and new talent coming in on the wings. You've got a guy like Santiago Moreno, who I just cannot say enough good things about his performance against RSL and some of the other things he's shown in the postseason and towards the end of the regular season. And then Felipe Mora, who's a Chilean national team player, really, really good number nine. So it's a mixture of of more established guys, guys that are newer to the Portland team in the Portland area, and then more useful presences in this group, not like U.S. national team youth players because Portland doesn't really do the whole academy thing very well. But it's a, it's a mixture, and it's an exciting mixture that I think has a solid chance to lift MLS Cup on their home field. RSL has been such a challenging team in the postseason, Jordan. Did you see Portland do anything special in this game to negate what they were trying to do, or was this just Portland kind of playing their game from start to finish? Portland, if you would have asked them how they wanted it to be drawn up, I think getting an early goal is exactly what they wanted to do because we have seen from RSL, yeah, they've been hard to beat and take out, but they haven't been... It hasn't been easy for them to score. And if Portland, when Portland got that early goal, then 
they could do what they wanted to do, just sit back and make RSL try to break them down, which they didn't do very convincingly. I think the best ones that I noted of RSL getting uh, opportunities I noted of RSL getting forward and trying to attack was those switches of the point that I just mentioned that are so dangerous against this Portland team. But they were few and far between. And I think a lot of that had to do with, as Joe was talking about, a little bit of the change of the guard. There, There is so much energy within this Portland squad. So even though they were sitting back after they got that 1-0 early lead in defending and doing what they were very confident in doing, they were still getting pressure to the ball. It was Mora and Luria and Moreno high pressing from a central position in that middle mid block, pressing the ball, making it uncomfortable for RSL. And then I wish we kept this stat because first and second balls was just dominated by Portland for the majority of the game. And they just were quicker to things. They had more energy. And I think that that is something that really allows them to play how they want to play, which is on the front foot. Can they go and counterattack as quickly as possible? And if they can't do that, I feel like we also saw a lot of good examples in this game where they were confident in keeping the ball and trying to then break down RSL, who almost gave them that opposing sit back and make you break us down when we're in a block kind of look. So um, they were confident in that. I, this is a Portland squad. I know that RSL has done really good throughout this playoffs executing a game plan. Um, but that early goal for Portland really allowed them to do exactly what they wanted to do in this, which is just dominate the tempo of the game. Joe, uh, Pablo Mar was writing about uh, Philadelphia NYCFC, but here is how he characterized Portland. The Portland Timbers are by no means the league's sexiest side, but they're amongst the league's most consistent. Winners of six straight, the Timbers are healthy, have not lost at home since mid-August, and are backed by arguably MLS's loudest, most passionate fans. Not asking if you agree with that characterization, which I thought was pretty good. What I will ask is... It does feel like Portland should be feeling pretty confident about this one. No one is ever extremely confident heading into a game, except if you have an opponent who has 11 players out with COVID, and then maybe you're overly confident. But that aside, uh, for Portland, Joe, what do you think, who do you think is the player players that they should have the most confidence in when the game is on the line, when they need that sort of big time performance? And what areas for Portland do you think maybe they have the least confidence in? So any discussion of confidence surrounding the Portland Timbers has to start with Diego Chara. And Taylor, I love how you said that earlier. You know, he's 35, maybe part of this old guard, and he is, but he plays like he's 25, and he yeah, does, he does, right? He is Gosh, yeah. maybe still the best six in Major League Soccer. If he's not, he's got to be up there. Covers so much ground. He's an asset dropping a little bit deeper in possession, driving the ball forward, passing the ball forward. You can't ask for much of a better presence in midfield than Diego Chara. So he's a huge reason that Portland and their fans should be confident about this game on Saturday. And Sebastian Blanco, again, we don't know exactly how healthy he is. He was on the bench against RSL after suffering a hamstring injury on Thanksgiving Day against the Rapids. He was on the bench and available, but didn't need to come into that game against RSL. So he's going to have another week to, to rest and to rehab and to be involved potentially on Saturday. I would expect him to play and I would expect him to start, although I don't have anything to base that on. But anytime Sebastian Blanco is on the field, and if he's something close to 100%, he's a guy you count on. He was one of the best players by a whole bunch of metrics over the last two months of the regular season. He's been dangerous in the playoffs as well. Think back to that that first round game against Minnesota United in parts of the game against the Colorado Rapids in the conference semifinals. He's a huge presence. And then you've got Felipe Mora and you've got Dyron Espria who will be back in this game. I don't know if he'll start or not. 
10 goals for Aspria. He's never done that in his MLS career. I don't know that that's going to, to continue to be a thing going forward, but he's had a great season in terms of production. I glossed over Mora, but 11 goals, really good expected goals numbers. Gets that first one being in the really right place at really the right time against RSL. Jimmy Chara, Santiago Moreno, who I, I am so impressed with. And I, I talked about this on Monday. He's, his right foot is crazy good. And his dribbling numbers in the postseason have been really strong as well. I hope he starts on the left and that Espria maybe is, is doing that super sub role off the bench. But Portland's attack has been one of the best in MLS the whole season. And uh, I think it could carry them here in the final. I love that you talk about Blanco because I, I actually think opposite. I don't think Blanco is going to start this game. You're coming off an injury. I know it's MLS Cup, but I think Portland is going to try to ride a little bit of the energy I don't know. This is just what I would do. Ride the energy of being at home. The players that you brought into the last game, I thought, did a really good job when you're talking about defensive responsibilities, when you're talking about opening up and getting forward. Um, J- Jimmy Chara was great in that role that Blanco typically plays. And there was a lot of fluidity between Lorea, Chara, and Moreno where they showed up. Uh, Mor- Moreno started on the right. He went to the left. He came back there. I like the way that they attacked in a variety of different ways with players in different positions. But if you're talking about Blanco, you start him. What if this game goes to extra time? Then you don't have your best player in, in added time. Yeah, it's true. I think you try to keep him on the bench as long as possible. Insert him in the game if need be at the end of the game in case you have to push him into extra time. Um, just so you know, he has enough legs after the injury, after not playing for a little bit. That's just my thought about it. I know one of the questions, Taylor, that you were asking about City, and then you had just asked Joe about maybe some weaknesses. And I actually think the weaknesses on both of these teams are the same spot. I mentioned the outside backs for City. I think the outside backs for Portland can be suspect. And Joe had said, if you can get Portland a little bit stretched when they're going forward, that there's opportunities to play straight through them. Or if you can get them to press at times, there's there's chances to play straight through them. And Bravo and Van Rankin, the outside backs for Portland, have showed that, yeah, they can get forward and, and at- create attacks and help the attack. But the best team we saw play against Portland, I think, in the playoffs was Colorado in that first half versus Colorado. It was the left side for Colorado, the right side defensively for Portland that was just getting hammered. And I think that if your city, you're taking some of that and how Colorado attacked with those quick changes of the point and overloading the weak side, I think that is a way that you can get at this Portland team in the channels and the outside back position. Uh, so we did have a few list of questions about this game, uh, including one you all have already sort of covered, but I want to go back over it to get a, a clear answer, if you would, from uh, at Ohio McG. How many minutes does Blanco have to play to guarantee a Timbers win? You could go minutes or you could just go, how much do you think he needs to play? I suspect your answers are going to differ slightly. <laughs> the more, I, I mean, I think the more Sebastian Blanco can play, the better. I, I totally buy, though, Jordan's line of reasoning that it might be better to leave him on the bench to start. Maybe you bring him in 45 at 60 or something like that to make sure you can have him for the rest of the game. I mean, there's there's no way to guarantee that Portland's going to win this thing. Though, right? <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know how to answer this question, but I will say yeah. the longer Sebastian Blanco's on the field, the better chances Portland have of winning, at least in my mind. So however Gio Savarese thinks it's best to manage his minutes, I think will be the right thing to do because he's there. But yeah, I mean, get him on the field as, as much as possible, as much as makes sense for him. 
I'm going to say um, 27 and a half minutes. Is ah, exact dang it. That number. is the right answer, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. 27 and a half. Uh, the thing about Blanco, too, is he's started this season. He, he, he was coming off an injury. He had an ACL injury last year, came off, didn't play until about midway through the season, and was coming in as, you know, in limited minutes. And so it's not as if he hasn't played this role this year, which I think is in his advantage and in Portland's advantage. They know how to win without him. They know how to win with him. So I, I think that wherever, as Joe just said, how Gio Savarese feels, like he's been pushing the right button so far. And if he feels like that is um, a start for Blanco or coming off the bench, as long as he plays 27 and a half minutes, I'm pretty sure they're going to win. All right, that was that was going to be my follow-up. Is it at least 27 and a half minutes or is it exactly 27 and a half minutes? At Does least. Gio Savarese have to calculate injury time and things like that? Yeah, it's at least. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for an answer. It is at least? Yeah, it is at okay. least. Okay, yeah, I'm holding your feet to the fire here, Jordan. These are <laughs> serious questions. They're not at all. Uh, Joe, uh, from a USMNT perspective, is NYCFC the team that people should be pulling for? Matt Hartman on Twitter pointed out NYCFC is going to start two U21 Americans in MLS Cup after losing their two best U21 Americans to Europe. He then continued by sort of bashing Portland and everything that they do when it comes to young Americans. So we're going to avoid that part of the question and instead just ask the NYCFC part. Oh, yeah. They're the clear choice here if we're looking at it from a U.S. youth national team or men's national team standpoint. They're not they're not perfect at, at bringing players through, and there's a lot of room to improve up in, in New York and the surrounding area. But over Portland, and we kind of do have to loop them in here, over Portland, it's a pretty easy choice, Taylor. Uh, Jordan, two bigger picture questions. Uh, the first one from at underscore TNT underscore 17. Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. In a league so driven by competitive balance and parity, only six different teams have made the final since 2015. These teams are mostly the biggest clubs, Portland, Seattle, Columbus, Toronto, Atlanta, NYCFC. Is this good or bad? And we should note Timbers reaching their third MLS Cup championship game in seven seasons. Either the Timbers or their rival, the Sounders, have represented the conference at every MLS Cup since 2014. So is this sort of trend good or bad, in your opinion, Jordan? I like how Columbus got into that mix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said I it, mean, not me, Jordan, because I didn't yeah. want to come for you there. I, I mean, I wouldn't say biggest clubs. So, I mean, when you're talking about support, yeah, I, I see the support of Columbus. But if you're comparing them to Toronto, Seattle, Atlanta, um, New York City, and what city is a part of as a a global brand. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good for Columbus and Portland. And um, okay. But going back to this, I was thinking about this a lot because yeah, these, these teams, I think it's a very um, MLS is kind of a, a league. There is a lot of parody, right? And there's parody each week because there are so many games. And at the end of the day, it's really, I think teams that are on a good streak coming into playoffs, who are hitting their peak, who tend to be teams who win MLS Cup, right? We saw that last year with Columbus. We saw, we see it right now with Portland and New York City. These teams were really good when it comes to the end stretch of the season. They showed that uh, they were performing at their best. And I think that really helps when you're talking about teams that make it to um, MLS Cup. But if you look at the history of Major League Soccer, it's yeah, you mentioned those clubs now, but it was DC United for a while, LA Galaxy for a long time, Houston Dynamo, New York, New England Revolution. There's these phases, I think, where teams are just really good and they've built uh, organization and it's, it's a combination of depth players and MLS veterans with some flair players. And if you look at all the, the, the history of MLS, I think that, that those are the teams who end up getting themselves to 
the final and then you you can ride that experience the next year or within that span of of years and i think that's what we're kind of seeing right now when it comes to portland or seattle um and and now we're getting new teams coming into it when when you're talking about new york city so there is parity i mean new york city has never been here before that that's parity right um yeah they're a big club globally but when it comes to mls this is not like it's some a place they've ever been before so it's this weird combination of yeah i think this is kind of just how mls works when you're talking about waves of teams who are very successful but I like that it's a team who's been there for, you know, a number of years in a row versus a team who's never been here before. I think it's I think it's parody at times less in the year to year kind of parody, although there is plenty of that and there is plenty of parody even within a season. But parody, cyclical parody, I guess, is, is the best way I can put it right Atlanta are kind of done yeah. from where they were before. Not that they can't right. get back to the Tata Martino era and, and how good and fun that team was, but they're not there right now. Toronto is nothing like they were under Greg Vanny at the, at the height of their powers, right? Those teams are, are way out from where they were before. Even Columbus, right? I mean, they, they caught fire last year and had a really strong season. They weren't close to that this season for a number of different reasons. Portland, who knows if they'll be back here again next year. Really, it, it's not as... It's not as condensed. It's not as small of a group of teams as I think the, the question kind of implies. And as the last few years have implied, I think if we zoom out a little bit and wait five or ten more years and have this conversation again, we'll see the parity borne out a little bit more. I am definitely the the least knowledgeable party of the three of us when it comes to this type of topic. But I will wait in to say I think parity is certainly part of it for me. Like the consistency that you can generate within that parity is what separates teams. And I think of it. It, that extends to other American sports like the Patriots, who are obviously a very good team by reputation, like in the last, what, 21 years or whatever. But before that, very inconsistent. But you have Bill Belichick there. He is this kind of ever-present fixture. And so you know what you're getting when you go to the Patriots. You know how he's mm-hmm. going to coach. And so you're not getting a lot of like fluctuation in player mentality because you know what he wants. And if he doesn't get that, he's not going to play you. But I think there's when you have that sort of presence, you then have experience behind it so that the Pats in this analogy can kind of try out different. I'm not a Pats fan, by the way. I want to emphasize that up front. This is paining me to talk about. But (sighs) they are able to kind of like use the early season as a time to experiment and figure out some different defenses and some different offense looks. And then as the season goes on, they get better and better and better at those things, and then they round into playoff form. And I would say that extends to Bruce Arena. I think there's a level of, like, I know what I'm doing. We're not going to make this overly difficult. We're going to kind of roll with it, and we're going to do what we do, and you see how that works out. I think Seattle has that same mentality, too. And I think the teams, the organizations that have an awareness of it's a long season, we're going to figure it out as we go, we're not going to be overly reactionary, we're not going to take huge swings – Sometimes those swings pay off and teams make the final or win the final. Sometimes they don't, and those teams don't make the playoffs. I think the teams that have just the most stability and consistency tend to be the ones that keep showing up, and that, at least of late, has been Portland and Seattle, previously Toronto as well. I do think it's tough to put NYCFC or even Atlanta in there. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens with either one of them. But I think that is sort of how I understand uh, the situation in Major League Soccer. And with that, when you're saying, you know, teams that don't really get rattled at the beginning of the season. Like if you look at Seattle, the years that they made MLS Cup, they didn't start mm-hmm. the year well. And this year, they probably had the best start that we've seen them play and they lost in the first round. So it's once you get to playoff soccer too, it is just such a different beast and a different animal. So um, I think that that should be noted too. Um, 
yeah, you can't get rattled by those early early wins or losses, but it is about the accumulation of the really the culture that they've built within their squads. Um, and Seattle and Portland really, I would say, have dominated over the last, what, five, six, seven years. Mm. Jordan, I don't know if you knew that this question was coming, but it is. Tim Katz <laughs> with a different uh, playoff structure question. Is this the right format for MLS Cup? Half the league qualifies, single elimination. It seems like the league's prioritizing Cinderella storylines and anything can happen. Chaos over crowning the best team. Is it an appeal to neutrals? Is it smart? Does it work? Jordan, to your point, Seattle uh, looking very strong and then getting knocked out in the first round is maybe not something we expected, but is also something we simultaneously do expect when it comes to the playoffs. Like From a broad standpoint, do you like this kind of current format where it is single elimination, you got the one game, and then we see how it goes? Would you like to see them change it up or try something different next year? They went to, um, you know, for a while, it was a home and away series. And it just felt like the playoffs lasted a long time. And yep. to to the, the listener question point, there is a best team that's crowned every year, and that's the Supporter Shield. And that is something that happens year in, year out. And so if you were the best team in MLS, you won that New York Revo- or New York Revolution. Jeez, I'm sorry. New England Revolution. I just combined two teams. New England Revolution are going to be the best team that MLS has seen probably for a while. They, they win the points record. They dominated... Um, one goal games this year, they won the supporter shield. That's a team who was the best team in MLS, but then they lost in the playoffs and in the playoffs should have, for me, I'm an American. I, you know, I thrive on this playoffs type scenario. Like you win and go on or you lose and you go home. And I like the single elimination because I think it adds a different, um, you you get to see a different bit of mentality within a group where really 90 minutes count or 120 minutes, which we've seen a lot in this playoffs. Um, so I, I like the format and I don't think they should change it. I'm all for the format. Yeah, Jordan, your your supporter shield convo there is great. This is we have to we have to all be on the same page when we talk about playoffs. There's no part of the playoffs that really helps us figure out who the quote unquote best team is, right? It's the team that hit at the right time with a team that's playing the best over a month period of time. It's not the same as being the best over the regular season. So as far as that goes, I'm, I'm very happy with playoffs and with the idea of MLS doing playoffs as long as we have the right goals and, and we have the right understanding of what these different things are. In terms of format of the playoffs, single legs is my, is my favorite by far without the home and away. I, d- I don't think that's necessary. And I've talked in the past about maybe lowering the, the amount of teams that make it into the postseason, maybe make it six, maybe keep it at seven yeah. as the league expands and, and stop growing the playoff field. But at the same time, I'm sympathetic to the challenges that come with scheduling this stuff, right? Taylor, you and, and I and Ryan and Graham talked about that in the past. It's not easy to schedule these things. There's there's the NFL season happening at the same time. You have a lot of teams competing for their own venues, right? You have logistics of international breaks. So it's not easy to do that. Um, and I don't know that I can necessarily come up with a, a logical, realistic way to make it better. So other than MLS just maybe not going to 10 teams at any point in the future, 10 teams <laughs> on each side, because that would be a bit absurd. I, I generally enjoy how MLS does its playoffs yeah. now. I like six teams too, because what we've learned over the last couple of years is that team who gets the bye and has to wait, gosh, what did the Revs wait this year? 22, 23. 23 days. 
it is not an advantage. And, and yeah, I think you should have an earned advantage in the playoffs. And so I do think by just making it a little bit, and then you're playing, even if you win that game, then you're playing the, or sorry, when you get the first seed, then you're playing the winner of the fourth and fifth. You're not even playing the worst team in your conference, right? You're playing that, that middle team. So I just think that you got to go an even number. Everybody plays at the same time. There's still an advantage. You're playing the, the worst team to have made the playoffs. Um, and then it keeps it on the same schedule a little bit more. Uh, final two questions. The first comes from uh, David Beffert on Twitter. I'm going to ask it, and then I'm basically just going to sit back for about five minutes and let you all <laughs> uh, talk as much as you want. Uh, what do you think each coach will evaluate as the other side's weaknesses, and what can they do to exploit them? Okay, Jordan, let's let's do this thing. Taylor's okay. given us free reigns, which I think oh, means yeah, yeah, we, we pretty much own the show now. Taylor's not yeah. even here anymore. So let's let's start with NYCFC and what Ronnie Dylan maybe thinks he could take advantage of for Portland. Jordan, you mentioned the fullbacks earlier for the Timbers, and I think that's part of it for me. But I, I want to zoom out a little bit more as far as my my weakness that I see important that maybe Ronnie Dylan sees too is their defending in general. And it's it's been pretty good in the playoffs. It's been pretty good in the postseason, but they haven't really played. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Taylor just texted both of us that he he muted himself. He's really he's really gone. He's really done for this. Portland Portland he's haven't played a, a lot of, of exactly yeah he's he's got a small child he needs that coffee Portland haven't played a lot of Correct. high intensity skillful attacking teams right they played Minnesota United in round one and there's talent there granted they played the Colorado Rapids in the second round and then they played RSL the the no shots RSL team in in the third game of the postseason none of those teams are NYCFC so for me if I'm Ronnie Dyla I think okay I want to make this team defend I don't know that they can do it effectively I don't know that they can react to our switches I don't know that they can deal with our presence between the lines. That's what I want to do. That's the pressure I want to put on Portland. Jordan, for you, what do you see that you think Ronnie Dyla might see in this Portland team that he could really leverage? I think what exactly what you're saying, but I, I want to go a little bit farther because I think that City has the best, I've talked about it before, the best center back pairing that we've seen. Yeah. And in order to pull apart a, a defensive block like Portland has or overload a space that is... Um, effective for opponents against Portland in those channels type area. I think you can use your your center backs on the dribble to pull a player out and then combine through the space because you do have um really good players like Callens and Chanel who can dribble into those spaces. But then you have in front of you, Rodriguez playing in the pocket, Morales operating in the space next to him. They almost operate as two like dual tens at yeah. times. So you can play into Tati Castellanos, but all of that only happens if you initiate someone stepping out of that block for Portland. And I think that the center backs can do that for New York City. Just initiate that domino effect of defensive shifting for Portland that you say maybe they're not great at. So that's the NYCFC side looking at, at maybe what they could exploit in Portland. Let's flip it with Gio Savarese and NYCFC. Jordan, what do you think that, that Savarese and this Portland team might see that they could really exploit in, in their rivals in this one? I, I think for Portland, this is a team we, they're so good in, in counterattacks. And so managing their times that they go forward, and it, it seems cliche to say that, right? But I think that they, this is going to be a game where they do score on a counterattack. And it is just a well-executed moment for Portland. And I think that's only going to happen if they use their players' um in a particular way. So if they win the ball back on on the left side, it's a quick sh 
switch through Chara. And I think it, it's this combination that we've seen so many times. It's Mora pulling in one of those center backs into that half space between the midfield and the defenders. And then Jimmy Chara, Sebastian Blanco, or even, you know, I, I kind of hope Moreno starts again because yeah. his ability to break the back line is so good. So it's a switch quickly to the opposite side and using, um, just the ability of New York City to get forward and their willingness to throw numbers forward against them in that quick counterattack for Portland. So that's kind of where I see that they can get out of it. And it's probably going to be in those channels, right? In between the, the outside back, that space that the outside back and the center back have, can they use that in a quick transition and, and pull apart the center backs for City? Jordan, we're on the same page on this one. I have something mm-hmm. very similar, less detailed. So, so props to you for going into, into some of the specific spaces that Portland could counter into. But it's, it's gotta be Portland's ability to attack in transition. That's one of the things they're best at. And just logically, like you described, if you think about how NYCFC play, and I, I do think they're likely to be the team that dominates possession, at least early on in this game and really tries to control the ball, even away from home. You think about how they like to, to play and how they like to push numbers forward aggressively, like you said. There's going to be space in behind. There's going to be opportunities for Portland to break. And they have those talented wingers, dribbly players, Moreno. And, and if Blanco starts centrally, Jimmy Chara, if he starts centrally drifting out wide, Marvin, Lur- uh, Marvin Luria, Dyron Espria, they have those players who can do who, who can do damage in open space and who can break in behind. And then Mora, who's a fox in the box and, and one of my favorite nines to watch in this league. That, that's got to be the biggest advantage that Portland might be able to press in this game. And I, I think if they don't do it, it'll be a disservice to themselves. And I, I think they really will try to attack on the break. So, Taylor, there's NYCFC, there's Portland. I think we did that in almost exactly five minutes. Um, so I don't know did if we? you've unmuted yourself or not, wow. but, but we're back, Go baby. Us. We're back. Y'all are good. Y'all are real good. I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, I'm assuming I will enjoy our final question, which comes from me. Uh, I guess I'm a listener. That counts, too. Uh, just wondering if either of you has any specific predictions for this oh, one yeah. or any sort of impact players, maybe lesser known players, lesser heralded players that could have a role here. Anything you want to predict about this game before we call it a day? Okay, I, I've got four and I'm going to do them so fast because I know we're already running Ooh. a little bit long here. But hopefully hey, it gets to your question, Taylor. And I'm just proud of them. I like my predictions, so I want to get them out there. Okay, two for each team. NYCFC, number one. Santi Rodriguez and Maxi Morales will combine three times in the first half. That could be in transition moments like we just described for Portland, or it could be between the lines. Those two players, Jordan, you mentioned it, they like to operate together, really close together. They're both tense. Rodriguez is technically playing on the left, but he'll drift inside. And those two players, when they're combining, when they're working together, are electric. So I think they're going to combine three times in the first half. My other one for NYCFC, Alexander Kyans and Maxime Cheneau. Jordan, you got it this earlier. We're on the same page. We'll drive the ball forward on the dribble so much that it prompts me to tweet about it. So I'm kind of in control of this VSP. <laughs> it's not, it's a little bit of a cheat, but they love to get on the ball. Dyla drops Sands or Alfredo Morales into the back line, creates a temporary back three, and then Kyans and Cheneau are two of the best center backs on the ball in this league. They're going to do damage and odds are I'm going to tweet about it. Portland, number one, Steve Clark. We haven't mentioned his name maybe but once on this show. He's been one of the best shot stoppers in Major League Soccer this season. He's going to make a pair of big saves. He's going to have to. I think Portland are going to be under pressure from New York City. If NYCFC are on their game, they're going to be taking shots on goal from good spots. And Steve Clark, if he, if he comes up big in those moments, could be huge for Portland in this game. And finally, Portland, number two. Either Sebastian Blanco or Santiago Moreno are going to make an NYCFC player look silly. So much skill on the ball, so much sauce. <laughs> I think Blanco or Moreno, if if they both get sizable chunks of minutes in this game, could do some damage for for Portland and really hurt NYCFC. I love how your very specific predictions were like in the game. I'm just going with the end result. 
Is that is that Ooh, good? Well, that, all right. Bring it, John. That's where I, like I went. That's where I'm I went. I'm too afraid um, to do result, that. I'm too afraid to do that stuff. I know. I know. End result. I think it's going to be two to one New York City. And I think it's going to be Tati Castellanos with kind of a scrappy goal. Not one of his like beautiful things that we've seen this season where, you know, he, he earned the golden boot by scoring some just magnificent goals. It's going to be scrappy, just kind of a mix of a ball that he pokes away. And then I think the second goal is going to come off of a corner kick for City. And it's not the first ball that's going to come in. I actually think that Portland is so eager to transition in those moments that City is going to win the ball back and it's going to be a second ball in that ends up going um, scoring a goal because I don't think Portland in those situations are very good at reorganizing and um, getting man people back marked up. So um, for Portland, I... <laughs> You know, I think it's going to be who other than Dairon Espria scoring a goal, just running like a madman and doing something so weird. Maybe he just juggles it up to himself and he chests it and then he bikes it because he hasn't done the chest bike. Um, he's going to do something wild. So it's going to be two to one. And I think City takes home their first cup. Wow. All right. So if jo- if Joe gets his, I will be impressed. If Jordan gets hers, I will assume that Jordan is a time traveler. Right. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. That's how I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. So I, I went specific. You told me to go specific. So. <laughs> I, and you did. And I appreciate it. Uh, I look forward to discussing this game after it happens this weekend. Saturday, I believe, noon. Is that Portland time? Is that West Coast time? Noon Portland time. Yep. There we Eastern. go. Uh, but until then, I will just say thank you to both of you all for joining me today. Uh, Jordan Crangeli, thank you very much for being here. (laughs) You're welcome. So happy to be here. And Carmel Joe Lowry, thank you for being here. I'm weirdly into that, Taylor. You're welcome. (laughs) It's one of your many, many nicknames. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.